Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of With Joy, a podcast where we meet amazing people across the world with me, Joy. Today we'll be talking to Alexander Lafredo Dietrich, someone with an extremely shy disposition who transitioned into a communications lover. From founding a public speaking consulting firm to becoming a best-selling author, let's go on in and learn some insight about his transformation and experiences. Hey Alexander, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Joy. How are you? I'm doing great. So Alex, last time you and I talked quite a bit. Can you tell me more about yourself? So currently what I'm doing is I have a business called Galhat, which helps entrepreneurs, most of them are coaches, and I help them use public speaking so that way they can get more leads in the time it takes their competitor to gain even one. So that's building credibility, getting over their stage fright, just being a total rock star on stage and making it so that way their audience goes from an audience into clientele to support their business. Yeah, that's where I'm at right yeah, now. Absolutely. I think really that connection makes such a huge difference, right? Mm-hmm. And you talked about this a bit before last time as well. I think it'd be a great story to share to everyone. How did you begin going into this path? Because from what I remember, it wasn't such a conventional, straightforward, linear pathways. Yeah, totally. I was horribly, ridiculously, embarrassingly, cripplingly shy. (laughs) It was was bad. It was was to the point where I couldn't even talk to my family. Yeah, and you know, part of it's like the angsty teenager thing where it's just like, ugh, parents. They think they know everything, but I'm a teenager and huge part of it, I think more than normal was a legitimate fear of, of, of me being afraid of rejection, of me being afraid of ridicule. And, you know, my parents are not bad parents by any extent. They were right, right. supportive, very hardworking. I'm not sure this is the right word to use, but this like pathological fear, something that didn't quite match up with my surroundings. I, I didn't really have a reason to be afraid. I just was. I grew up in the North. My parents lived in two separate states. My dad lived in Pennsylvania. My mom lived in New Jersey. And so I'd go back and forth. And I was always this really shy person. I was always, even in the very small group of friends that I did have, even then I was the quiet person. I didn't really say much. And I always wanted to come out of my shell. I always had this desire to do so. Right. But there's this interesting thing that happens, especially when you don't have a lot of self-esteem, such as myself when I was younger, where you have a lot of these pre-existing notions, a lot of these, how people perceive you, where when you want to change yourself, it makes it very difficult to do so because not only are you getting into the habit, right? You're getting past people's habits of how they look at you. And I just didn't have the confidence back then. Uh, I didn't have the willpower. I I didn't have the means to do so. I had this really interesting opportunity where my mom, she moved to Richmond, Virginia in 2009, something like that. And they really loved this city. Uh, they absolutely loved Richmond, Virginia. And it was a pretty big music scene. And one of the things that I did that I felt I was really good at, I'm not trying to toot my own horn or in this case, <laughs> from my right. own guitar, dare I say, but I was a pretty good guitarist. And there was this awesome opportunity. It's like, hey, there's this really cool music city. You can move yeah. down here. Part of it was, yeah, I wanted to chase this dream of becoming a music this shy kid wants to become a rock star but the other part of it was alex you have this incredible opportunity to not have to break other people's preconceived emotions you have a clean slate man like you can go down here nobody knows who you are which in my case is really good (laughs) (laughs) yeah no you're not that weird kid anymore nobody knows you're the weird kid you can totally reinvent yourself and me being a musician i 
superimposed music theory onto these patterns that I noticed. And that led to my first TEDx talk. And eventually that led to me helping other students. And then my love for public speaking. And then all things considered later on, that eventually led to a couple of books that I wrote and the pivoting into Galhad as it is today, which is all very communication based, but I had to choose a niche. So I love entrepreneurship. It's another love right. that I found in Richmond, Virginia. Pretty much how I landed to where I'm at today. Yeah, I mean, that's a crazy journey. And, you know, it's kind of ironic that the shy kid became someone who specializes in, like, communication. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. And actually, I'm a little curious. How did you, why were you such a shy kid? Was it just, like, your nature? Did Was there any experience that particularly, yeah. like, made you suddenly feel, like, a lot more shriveled in your self-esteem? <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a really, really good question. Like, when I was really young, I was pretty outgoing. I was a pretty funny person. I'd crack jokes that were way too raunchy for a four-year-old to be cracking. <laughs> right. uh, really shocking my parents questioning about the quality oh, of gosh. their parenthood. Um, right. You know, that sort of thing. But again, great parents. <laughs> but <laughs> I just, I just want to lay that out. My parents were not mentally abusive. <laughs> Jesus. They didn't do terrible things to me, I swear. <laughs> I was just a weird kid. You're just um, weird. <laughs> I'm just a weird kid. Probably around when I got to middle school, which I think is a really hard time for most kids. Is yeah, when they, was sure. when I really started receding into my shell. I, I remember there was just a point in time in my life where I just didn't try anymore. Um, and a funny thing happens in retrospect, which I think still carries on through adulthood is, yes, I was this really outgoing kid when I was, you know, four, five, six, you know, up until middle school. And then once middle yeah. school hit, I stopped trying because things got hard. Um, yeah. I wasn't used to challenging myself. Right. You know, I'm, a, I'm a kid. <laughs> and, right. uh, I let that defeat me. And I think that led to a lot of, I wouldn't say I was chronically bullied, but you have a couple of jerks in your school and I happen to be their target every now and then. So yeah. that didn't help. And um, I also had an older brother who, again, great older brother, but he was very outgoing. He was uh -huh. he was always hanging out with a new group of friends. He always had a new girlfriend every week because that was cool in middle school back then, right? <laughs> right. And so I'm sitting here, I was like, oh, man, you're so good at talking to people and I'm not. <laughs> and so, you know, you compare it. You don't know not to compare yourself in that way to other people. And so, again, not through his fall, it's just his personality and being juxtaposed with that living in that shadow didn't help. And, you know, I receded into my shell. What really pushed you to go beyond? I guess you had that chance that was presented to you. But was there any particular experience where you just thought, okay, this is my first time in years, I'm just going to do it. What was yeah. that moment like for you? How to explain without sounding like a total D-bag. <laughs> <laughs> the million dollar question I ask myself every day. Um, you know, I had friends up in, up in Pennsylvania, I had friends in New Jersey, and they were good friends. I'm not a fan of pipe dreams, right? I'm not a fan of sitting around a campfire and wishing like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we opened up this thing or did this really cool project? And I'm the, I'm the guy in the group of friends that's like, okay, well, um, why don't we write out a plan and how we can execute that mm. and do that? So I was not the person to, to start spitting pipe dreams around because I would hold you accountable for those things. It frustrated me when any sort of obstacle, they would just give up. The other thing was, again, like I said, I always kind of felt like an outsider in my group of friends. To me, it felt like I was an afterthought. I think really what put the icing on the cake was there's one thing that people will know about my dad. He was a very strict, very driven, hardworking, straightforward kind of person. But when you start feeling like this level of emotion from him, 
you know things are about to get real. I remember sitting in a car with him saying like, oh, I'm thinking about moving to Richmond. And I remember him turning to me, he's like, you should because there's really not much here left for you. If I had a chance to move, I would have, I don't want to see you stuck here. Like right. I kind of that's tough and i'm like oh crap all right well i gotta start packing my bags <laughs> gotta go <laughs> you gotta go if dad says it like that it's, it's probably a good idea i remember us last time we talked about you going to art school and mm -hmm. you know how everything went down there what do you think that was like and how do you think that helped you throughout your transition yeah my my choice to go to art school was one that was really ill-informed um <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> I say that partly tongue in cheek, but there is an element of truth for that. So I, I tried a whole bunch of different things growing up. I tried, I was thinking about going into the military. I was thinking about being a chef. I worked at a, you know, I was working at a gas station for a little while and before I moved. And, and I have more than that, um, commercial painting, like just a bunch of weird, odd jobs that I did. I can imagine. And I took a couple art classes in high school. I'm like, wow, this is, this is really hard. Or it's probably the hardest thing that I've done because the heck and you chose it <laughs> and i chose it because i'm sitting there like and again i'm not trying to sound cocky or anything but i was one of those kids that i could kind of float by in school get a's and b's i'd be yeah. okay. i didn't have to study i didn't i just kind of be like eh, <laughs> i'm done yeah, and i'd I go i wasn't ridiculously smart but i didn't really have to try either art was something i'm like ah oh, this is like i have to put effort in this i like the right. reward that i get out of it is that is that weird that i like this masochism in order to it's just crazy <laughs> work is pretty neat and my dream job was like oh wow wouldn't it be cool if i could draw characters like for a designer yeah yeah be a character designer and seems ideal one of the things that I, I went over was i thought that conversationalism could be boiled down into an algorithm if Alex goes to Joy and says, hi, Joy, how are you doing? Joy says, I'm doing well. Okay, now I break open this tree of conversation, which can go all these different ways. Oh. And so for a long time, I'm thinking like, okay, if I, can if I can break down this algorithm of conversation, I'll be able to converse with everybody. Not the case. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have known? <laughs> Who would have known, like trying to memorize 170,000 words in the English language. Here's a math kid. <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, there are the spaces, if you will, in between these neat little compartments of information in which whether you want to call it instinct or humanity or that logic will never be able to fill completely. We kind of talked about this last time as well, but like you spent what 65k on art school and how, yeah. how the heck did you end up like getting the job you got and that's your first job as well at like a Like how what happened? How did you redeem into that? This is gonna sound like a load of horse crap just from what I just said a lot of it was being authentic <laughs> um, Oh gosh. So how I initially got the role is as I mentioned before I, I fell in love with this idea of entrepreneurship while right. I was in Richmond and and that's just that's another story in and of itself. But through that community, I, f I found somebody who was also working at IBM and said, hey, you should apply. And so they did these mock interviews with myself and a couple of our classmates. When I scheduled my mock interview, okay. I totally forgot that it happened. And so I missed the first one. Ooh, what? Oh my God. Okay. And then what? And Jesus. Then the, and I'm like, oh my gosh. I, and I felt terrible because I normally don't miss anything. I'm normally a really punctual guy. Yeah, you seem like, like that type of guy. I'm like, man, I'm so sorry. This is not me. And, and, and I apologize. And I would love to reschedule. I will buy you coffee. I will buy you lunch. I just, even if you don't want to interview me, I feel bad for wasting your time. Mm. So if I can at least send you something for you picking out the time, let me at least give you something just to show you that I'm not 
trying to blow smoke up. He's like, no, we'll reschedule, we'll do it again. So he calls me, we do this and he's like, okay, tell me why you want to work at IBM. The classic, why do you want to work at our organization? He, he emailed me, he's like, we actually think you'd be a really good fit for IBM, so you should apply. So you <laughs> completely like, bamboozled them. What in the world? So, yeah, I, I don't know. So, so anyway, I applied and right. go through this crazy rigmarole. But I remember the last day we had an on-site interview to where they fly you out to one of their campuses. They call it offering management. It's a product management position. I'm sitting there interviewing with people who went to who have their masters in business from oh Ivy God. League schools. We're talking like Harvard and Yale and and those ones like schools that just totally kick butt when it comes to that stuff and you're from and, art school <laughs> and i went to art school <laughs> and you and told them you don't even want this job and i told oh them God. i didn't even want this job oh. Oh. So, um, so i don't advocate this by the way for anybody who's listening it's like oh let me write down this interview advice don't do that <laughs> yeah i <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you do, don't do that. So I don't know any of the technical jargon. One of the case studies that they gave us was around, I'll just say, security and technology. Okay. So it's like data breaches and hackers and protecting information. I don't know a lick about that stuff. I don't even know how computers work. Okay. <laughs> I don't know any of that. Okay. And so we're trying to put together this pricing model for it. And I'm sitting there and I'm talking to one of the MBA students. They're like, I think we can price this for a million dollars. And I'm like, isn't everybody entitled to their, to their data and their privacy? Do you think everybody can afford a million dollars? And he's like, well, we're really only trying to target Fortune 500 companies. I'm like, well, that's interesting. And I think that's a good market. But what about what about the mom and pop shops that if they did get hacked and they don't have the security? Yeah, they might not be the biggest target. And that's their defense sure. that nobody's really pointing their crosshairs at them. But at the same time, what happens if they do? Wouldn't right. that completely destroy them? Absolutely. Well, if we came up with a pricing model that allowed them to have just as much access to this as a Fortune 500 company. Yeah. So when I was in high school, this is my first exposure to Adobe. I fell in love with the products. They're the most fun that I've ever had. Back then, they were like like at least $1,000 for one program. There's no way I could afford that. And then they switched to Creative Cloud. So for 20 bucks a month, if you're a student, you can have access to everything. Automatic upgrades, sure, you'll never fully own it, but right. you can afford it. And by the time they <laughs> upgrade it, you've gotten your money back anyway. And then, and so I'm sitting, I'm like, well, what if instead we charge for every user that they have, we make this a pure software package. We do XYZ, say for every computer that you have, every user who uses this $50 a month, something like that. Right, if you right. calculate how many employees you have in a Fortune 500, I forget what the math was, I'm like, by the third year, you've made more money than if you just sold them a direct asset. Oh. Now, now I didn't know this, but that's software as a service. That's a that's a complete business model. I had no idea I had a name. I'm just spitballing what I've experienced with <laughs> Adobe. <laughs> oh my God. And so we go up and pitch to these people, and I'm like, yeah, you know, here's my idea. But I didn't really have the things that these these other people had. I, I mean, just, they're from Harvard, like, yeah. They're from Harvard and Yale. I'm, what do I know, right? And, <laughs> But I remember right. the night, it was a two-day event, and the night at my hotel room, I sat down and I, I made a list. Every time that I met somebody, I made a list of their name, and I wrote down it on a piece of paper, and I brought my own letterhead. I printed out, that's one thing they taught me in art school, is really good paper has an immense effect on people. All my resumes, everything was made on this, you know, 16-point, oh, cold-pressed, like really high-quality paper. And I brought it to a professional printer. I had it just so perfect. I made my own letterhead so nice. and I brought copies of my letterhead and I wrote each one of them in fountain pen. So I could also nice. do calligraphy. So I'm sitting there like knocking out my best handwriting, spend like 15 <laughs> minutes on each of these handwritten letters. 
right. and every like one thing that we talked about i always remember one thing that we talked about I just like thank you so much you have no idea what this means for me but here are a bunch of these art students that they're about to graduate and the field that we're going in there's really not a lot of jobs and by giving me a chance, I'm not sure if you know this, but when I come back and I tell people about all these cool things that I've managed to do, well, it gives them hope that, oh my gosh, there's more opportunities for me out there than what I initially expected. Absolutely. And I wrote that and I dropped it off on everyone's desk. I didn't even go up to them. I didn't hand it to them. I just said, I dropped it on their desk because I didn't want it. My objective is I didn't want this to be like a power play, like, oh, please hire me. It was just- Yeah, yeah, you, it was out of sincerity, yeah. It was out of sincerity. And the day before I graduated, I get a call. And they say, we'd like to extend you an offer. I'm like, oh my gosh, Holy I'm not cow. screwed. And they, I remember they said, we have a team for you that's this Linux-based hardware, so open source hardware, or hardware that runs with an open source operating system. I didn't know what that meant at the time. And they're like, <laughs> you don't have any right. technical background. You just have this new creative set of eyes. And I think the team could really use that. I'm like, oh, awesome. Thank you. And I hung up the phone. I turned to my friend Aaron, who was playing Shadow of the Colossus because it was my graduation party. Mm -hmm. I'm like, Aaron, I just I think I just got a job. He's like, really, what'd they say? I'm like, they're hiring me because I don't know what I'm talking about. That's oh what they God. just told me. <laughs> oh <my> gosh. <laughs> and but that's what I did. I went in and every time they'd say something, I'd be there. I'm like, have we just discussed this internally or have you actually asked a customer about this? And a lot of that is what I brought value to the team is. And that kind of ties into your TED talk, actually. How did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> that happened. I didn't want it to happen. <laughs> I was, what, again? <laughs> again, I know. I'm just like, all these are just like, this is totally not something that I wanted to do, but I just kind of rolled with it. I had this brilliant professor, the most influential teacher I've ever had. His name is George Benitez. Real quick aside, if you have teachers like Benitez who are willing to push your buttons for the good of the student, even if they tick you off, don't let them go because they are the biggest service to our future. I remember telling him about this communication style that I learned from music theory. And he says, you know, I have a bonus assignment for you. Like, oh, goody. Oh, There's a TED talk at VCU and I want you to apply. And I've never really done a huge public speaking thing before. So I'm like, do I have to? Like learning to talk to one person was hard enough. Learning to talk to like <laughs> a thousand. Right. Are you sure? I make it through round after round after round because the, the TEDx application, it's multiple rounds. They, they file you down doing everything from reading your tagline to explain it in five minutes to all these different things to really make sure that you're the type of speaker that they want. Right. And I remember the final round, they're like, you know what would be really cool? And I said, what? It's like, what if you played guitar when you came out on stage? Huh. And so I'm sitting there like, okay, the biggest crowd I've ever played guitar for is like maybe a house party or a small show, like maybe, maybe a hundred people. Oh my once. goodness. Maybe. Right. So I'm just like, okay, so now I'm terrified of speaking in front of people. And now you're asking me to write a small oh, solo and play in front of them too. I'm like, you guys are freaking killing me. Like, just do it, man. Do it, do it. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, oh, I hate this so much. But um, <laughs> Right. I eventually got accepted and I walked out onto that stage. I, I decided I would be the first person to go because I just want to get it over with. I don't want to see other people like totally kill it. And then like, I'm like, oh, how am I going to match that? I just want to go out and get it done with. And then if people blow me out of the water, whatever, the damage has been done. And I got off the stage. That was awesome. <laughs> that was so cool. I just played guitar right. in front of all those people. I just did a 
speech. It was a t- like, I was like, I was hooked. Right. And it was for me, that was that cliff jumping. I became addicted after that. It's like, it's an I adrenaline rush. Yeah. This, is, this is my thing. Like, this is where I'm at. And I started doing more speeches and things like that. And I realized after that, that's really what I wanted to do is if I could use communication was where my heart's at. And I didn't know that public speaking eventually would be something that would be so passion driven for me. Yeah. But all those things came together by just seemingly things that I thought that I would never ever do that I just hate so much ended up being the things that I love the most. I know it's really amazing to hear like your huge turnaround in this area, especially. And I mean, you know, starting your own public speaking consulting firm and being like a multi bestselling author and everything like that. How did you start off going into the business side of things? And I don't know, even writing your books. How was that? I was a mediocre artist and that does not apply to become a square Enix concept artist. And I knew it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I knew, okay, well, I might need a little bit more time at this. And that means that I might have to freelance. And if I'm going to freelance, I should probably pick up some business skills. So I did a certificate of venture creation and it was called Innovate LP, which is essentially human centered design. So you know what I like more than art? Building businesses. <laughs> this is so much fun. Like Nice. I was just having a blast. I had a small little guitar tutoring business I did just me and then I tried blowing it up into making a, a game design business which totally flopped. Never went anywhere. <laughs> but I had right. fun. It was like cool. I get to be this different kind of creative. I get to yeah. see something that I could actually live off of. Tying in my love with entrepreneurship, tying in my, my passion for communicating with others and then tying in just the sheer fun that I have for public speaking, I think naturally led to become Galahad as it is today. So Galahad has actually been around for about two years, but first it just started with basic communication, which is just really wide. And I said, okay, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a doctor. I don't plan on being either of those things, but I think I have a couple things to contribute. And I think I have some things I can speak and help with people. I've shared these things with folks that I know, and they say that they've helped. First book was called Communications Crash Course. And it, it was literally, the I called them strategic conversation frameworks, which were these conversation frameworks, right? Mm-hmm. That were based off of the music theory, uh, things that I use myself. And a lot of them were not crazy complex ideas, but they're right. just, it was a way, is the perspective in which I looked at conversation that finally made it click. And right. so I list, I, the first half was, you know, here's all these cool things about conversation that I learned, basic communication skills. And then the second half was actually laying out each of these frameworks, the 11 of them, sure enough, by the third day that was published for to, to actually make money off of it, it became a bestseller. I'm like, oh my gosh, people are actually buying it. Cool. <laughs> so I did it again. Uh, right. The second time was with speech writing. Again, speech writing is an art form, I think, more than a science. Right. But breaking down the scientific elements to at least get you to where I have, I have no idea what I'm supposed to be talking about. I don't know how long into, hey, it's okay. We'll figure this out. Here's what we're going to do. Maybe it's the saying I tell myself, but the hardest thing to paint is the thing that you don't know that you're painting. Right. If if, if a paint, if my teacher's like, I want you to paint something on the canvas. I'm like, well, what the hell do you want me to paint? It's a classic. What do you want for dinner? I don't know. Is there one specific main message that you want to let the world know about? Being flexible in your approach. We're cultivated to have an end goal and a set of plans in which to achieve that end goal is a lot of times those goals will stay similar, but they'll never be exactly the same by the time you reach them. I have found, especially for me, case in point with the algorithm, how I, as, as a micro example, 
we don't allow ourselves to see the vast multitude of easier approaches in order to get to another goal that may be even more fulfilling than the one that we already had in mind. Right. And for me, how that's come about is how did I use my art education to land me a, a phenomenal job coming out of school right. when that wasn't the plan at all. But if I would have been so trapped in those early convictions without any sort of flexibility, I think I look back and if I could trace my history, I think I would have stayed in Pennsylvania. I think it's just learning to be flexible in how rigid you are in your convictions and how flexible you can be. There needs to be a balance. You don't want to be too much of a pushover, but you don't want to be too, you know, ugh. Right, right. Absolutely. All the time. Do you have any other tips that other people might implement if they're in the same stage where they're kind yes. of scared, they're in their shell, but they, they want to be out of it. Do you have any practical tips that you perhaps use? Yeah. So I have a saying that seems a little dark at first, but oh, let gosh. me explain it. All right. It is everybody needs something to hate. Oh my God. Okay. Everybody needs, okay. Hopefully that, and something, keyword something, not someone, something. Okay. 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 Don't, I don't believe in hating other people, but, but something, mm. um, everybody needs something to hate. I hated the thought, the prospect of living the rest of my life stuck in my room, afraid to make any sort of relationship, afraid of being alone, afraid of not succeeding, afraid of not being able to talk to, my, to, to even my family. I hated that more like so much. You, it was just enough that I was able to move. It's healthy to be like, I don't want this so much that I'm going to do something else. And I know it's a strong word, which is why I use it. The hatred of the situation that I was in and right. that I wanted to change it. Um, people don't move from comfortable into more comfort. They might, but not really. They move from a situation that they can't stand anymore into something that's going to give them a little more respite. And that's the same principle. I, I couldn't stand where I was at. And I wanted right. to move. So... Yeah. yeah. Everybody needs something to hate. Find something that you can hate and hopefully it's healthy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just not being satisfied with your situation is definitely something that could help yeah. you ease out of it. I guess with all that said, is there anything that you're currently working on that, you know, our audience can learn more about? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm working on a third book. Ooh. Um, Ooh, and okay. this is going to, it's, it's a third book. It goes into everything, how you can establish credibility as a brand new entrepreneur or coach or speaker. It goes into how to eliminate your stage fright by not just being thrown in the deep end. It's actually understanding what your fear cues are and what your reactions to those cues are and how you can work to extinguish those cues to make approaching the stage more bearable and hopefully more exciting for you. Yeah, reach out to me. Um, my email is alexanderdietrich at galhead.com. It's spelled weird, so it's spelled, listen, A-L-I-X. A-N-D-E-R-D-I-E-T-R-I-C-H at G-A-L-H-A-D dot com. It'd be very much appreciated. And hopefully you can learn a thing or two from it too. That may help. Absolutely. And I mean, it sounds amazing, Alex. And I'm sure there's so much information packed in there full of things that honestly is hard to learn without the common sense and experience. But I'm sure that your books are really, really insightful and going to be super helpful. So everyone, make sure you definitely check that out. Check out what Alex has to offer on his website. And Alex, how can people reach you via maybe socials or something like that? I have a Facebook group. 
called so it's a form so if you have any like communication stuff any speeches you want to run by we're growing that and it's a lot of good people on there it's called the galahad community forum and you can find that at facebook.com slash group slash galahad official that's g-a-l-h-a-d official and then for my instagram it's just at galhad official same spelling g-a-l-h-a-d official so you can find me on instagram and then as always i love when people email me i enjoy it when people are like hey i read your book what's going like anything yeah for sure <laughs> thank you so much alex thank you. it's such a great great pleasure having you and honestly your journey has definitely been a little wild but it's definitely <laughs> so insightful <laughs> yeah I'm glad. I'm glad well thank you so much for having me on this is been a great dare I say joy to be on here <gasps> okay yeah I know I'm sorry that's a terrible way to end this a great way to end this, actually, is to recognize that change can only happen if you want it to. Hate is hyperbolic, but strength definitely doesn't come from a place of comfort. Rather, we must work collectively upstream towards our goals. Next week, we'll be talking to Stephanie Mears and Austin Collins, two bright individuals thriving within the business and financial space where Stephanie is a published author, motivational speaker, radio show, and podcast host, while Austin is a registered investment advisor representative working avidly within the financial industry. As per usual, all episodes are released every Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you all next week.